0: Memories can be fleeting. Can you say, with certainty, that you saw something 30 years ago? What about 40 years ago, or 50, or even 60 years ago? Do you actually remember it? Or maybe you want to remember something so badly, you simply trick your brain into it. This is the dilemma we'll discuss today. Welcome to another episode of the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host, Josh Burhau, and today we're talking about the mysterious, elusiveness of the most iconic sign in the sport. The warning at Bethpage State Park's Black Course, home of the 101st PGA Championship. Chances are you're aware of the sign. You might even have a picture next to it. It reads, warning, the Black Course is an extremely difficult course, which we recommend for only highly skilled golfers. The sign sits behind the first tee and is a Bethpage celebrity. The
1: thing about it is even people who, who aren't playing golf, like will have people who here for weddings, and they'll, they'll go over there and take a picture with it. So it is
0: sort of, I guess, synonymous with that page. There have been slight variations to the sign over the years. Different borders, longer dashes, bolder fonts, but the ominous stare never changes. But what's most interesting about it? No one definitively agrees on how or when it got there. I devoured newspaper archives and called, texted, and emailed anyone who might have an idea of how it got there. Over the last few weeks, I reached out to, to name a few, The Metropolitan Golf Association, the Long Island Golf Association, the USGA, the Long Island Studies Institute of Hofstra, Bethpage Clubs, current supers, former supers, historians, college coaches, authors, bloggers, journalists, and forums. More often than not, it was a dead end or conflicting information. But the more I dug, the more fascinating this story became. Throughout this episode, we'll hear from six protagonists who I interviewed as I tried to solve the riddle of the sign's origin. Philip Young, an author and Bethpage historian, Bill Quirin the Metropolitan Golf Association's historian, Michael Asheroff, the former Deputy Regional Director of Long Island State Parks, Dave Catalano, the former Director of Bethpage State Parks, Andy Wilson, the current Bethpage Superintendent, and lastly, Joe Rahor, the former Head Pro at Bethpage. Rahor might sum up the signs meeting the best.
2: You know, when you tell them, you know, someone that something is very hard and they, like, dare them, okay, and that's kind of what that sign did. So we got, we had people of, all playing levels that went out there to play. And, you know, as the golf course became more manicured, you know, more and more and more people wanted to come and, you know, see why that sign was up.
0: If any other course did this, it would come off as a gimmick. But it works at Bethpage because the black course is a terror for pros and amateurs alike. The sign transformed from local legend to bucketless material in 2002, when Bethpage Black became the first public course to host a U.S. Open. Tiger Woods was the only player under par in 1x3. The course was hard, the sign was a hit, and a star was born. No, Tiger, not you, the sign. The sign received more TV time when the 2009 U.S. Open came to Bethpage, followed by the 2012 and 2016 Barclays. Andy Wilson has been at Bethpage since the summer of 1989. He's now the head superintendent. He's witnessed the sign's evolution firsthand. But to better understand the big picture, let's first understand Bethpage. Long Island has a rich golf history, and in the 1920s, a club called Lenox Hills Country Club was built by the Lenox Hills Corporation in Farmingdale. The Bethpage Park Authority later purchased Lenox Hills Country Club in the early 1930s along with the surrounding area. Bethpage State Park was born. Amid the Depression in the 1930s, A.W. Tillinghast was tasked with the construction of three golf courses at Bethpage State Park as a part of the Federal Works Progress Administration Project. The red and blue courses opened in nineteen thirty-five, as did the remodeled green course, which used to be Lennox Hills. The black course opened in nineteen thirty six to give Beth Page's fourth course, and golfers came in droves. Beth Page's fifth course, the yellow, opened in nineteen fifty-eight, but the black was always the best and the gnarliest of the bunch.
3: The black is so beyond great. It was probably top ten course. In America, when it opened in the 30s, it really was. Tilly himself viewed it that way. He said, he wrote that the the, the two most difficult and challenging courses in America were Pine Valley and the Black Leopard, as he called it. And it was, he he was immensely proud of what he was able to, to do there.
0: Philip Young has written a Tillinghast biography, as well as two books on the Black Course. We'll let him fill you in more on the evolution of Beth Page.
3: Prior to World War II there was tremendous play on all four courses, there really was. World War II saw a obvious big slack to the point where both the black and blue courses and the original blue was much better than the red and considered really as close to the black as you get as far as outstanding. It was a phenomenal course. Mm -hmm. Um, In 42, Beth Page announced that until the war was over, they were not going to do any more maintenance on those two courses, and they let it just grow. In the spring of 45, seeing that the war was going to be over and that a whole bunch of people were going to come back, they sent their maintenance crews out there to uh, restore the courses, and that's when those greens became nothing more than small circles. Restoration of the course never really took, took place. After World War II, so many guys came back, that it was a huge, huge desire for normalcy after horror. And one of the great ways for normalcy in the 50s was sports. Mm -hmm. And the only place they could play was Bethpage or Eisenhower, and Eisenhower was all the old guys, and everybody wanted to play Bethpage. And so overnight all the all the in the in the in the fifties all the courses were so overcrowded, everybody wanted to play the black, and everybody did then like they do today, go out on the black because it's the shortest wait and butcher it up because they couldn't play it. And so finally somebody got the idea, let's put a sign there that tries to keep people from going and playing.
0: But did the sign really go up that early? As you'll find out, there are discrepancies. Phil also suggested a promising lead I never thought about.
3: Contact St. John's University. Bed page has been their home place forever, right? They've got to have photographs of the first Sea of the Black going way back, simply because of the guys playing there.
0: And I did, but they weren't able to help either. Young also suggested I reach out to the Long Island Studies Institute of Hofstra, which has a substantial photo archive of Long Island athletics, but that was also a dead end. So is it safe to assume it wasn't placed in the fifties?
3: I don't think it was there before the sixties. Not a single person knows. And I guarantee you there isn't a person on the planet that more knows more about Beth Page or Tilly than me.
0: But Phil's right. His third book on Beth Page Black, called Golf for the People, The True History of Beth Page and the Black, could be available as early as this summer. Alright. So let's take Phil Young and his word and assume it wasn't there in the nineteen fifties. Dr. Bill Quirin, who is 76, has been the historian of the Metropolitan Golf Association since 1990 and is the author of America's Linksland: A Century of Long Island Golf. He grew up in the area, played Bethpage as a kid and again in college. He says he thinks he recalls the sign from the 1960s, although he's certain it was there by the time he started as a professor at nearby Adelphi University, where he still works today.
2: It's perfectly clear to me it was there in 69, early 70s. I know for sure. I think I did. I played out there when I was a kid. Every week I'd go out there two times. Once I play black and once I play one of the others. And that sign was always there. I am sure late 69, fall of 69, I'm sure
0: it was out there and it was there. Would somebody say something else? As a matter of fact, yes. The most thorough and, dare we say, confident answer of the sign's origin comes from Michael Asheroff the Deputy Regional Director of Long Island State Parks from 1976 to 1991. He pins the sign's founding in the early 1980s and has one unbelievable story that goes with it.
4: It was June of 80, 81, may have been 82. That's the. I mean, I, I can tell you that the sign went up in early June of one of those years, but exactly which year, uh, I don't know. I, I was sitting there with a fe- in the um, cafeteria at the, at the clubhouse, having a cup of coffee with a fellow named Eric Siebert. And Eric was the superintendent at the park. So his radio starts to crackle. There's a problem out on the golf course. And there was a guy teaching his wife to play golf on Memorial Day on the black course. And uh, there were like five uh, holes or six holes open in front of him. And this foursome finally had about had it and hit the ball into him. And he turned around and hit their balls back at them. This didn't make them very happy. And there was, uh, it should be an incident report somewhere in the police files from those years because the State Park Police had to show up out there and get them separated. And uh, at that point, I scribbled something on a piece of paper, um, the the exact wording, I don't remember. And um, I said to Eric, get this over to the sign shop, have a sign made and put it by the front desk. I mean, at least uh we will be warning people and telling people that this is much too tough a golf course unless you are skilled and it's it's a public course you can't say to the public you can't play here so we tried to go at it a different way and that's the it's all that simple that's the origin of that sign
0: the sign go up in 80 then did it go up it would have
4: gone up within within a week or two of Memorial Day okay. in one of those years. Now, who the hell knows whether these records still exist? Okay, right. first of all, I don't know that the police filed a report or didn't. Am I remembering it precisely as it was? Geez, I think so, but you know, hell, I'm I'm talking about. Uh, Something uh, close to 40 years
0: ago. Asheroff mentioned a police report that might have been filed. I reached out to the state, and through the Freedom of Information Act requested any Bethpage police reports filed on Memorial Day during the years in question. I'm still waiting to get the results. But even if a report from that day does exist, it doesn't necessarily prove the sign came in then anyway. It would be one hell of a read, though. Asheroff also mentioned that there might have been a purchase order placed and in the system at the state park's regional sign shop. After being transferred a few times, I eventually got a hold of where the signs are made, but the worker I talked to was mum on details. My information was passed on to their supervisor, who was supposed to call me back. I haven't heard from them yet, and the worker I spoke to didn't want to give their supervisor's direct number, but any hope I had of finding some old service orders for a warning sign was erased when Andy Wilson told me they might not even exist. Anyway, Asheroff's story sounded convincing, and honestly a little too crazy to make up. Problem is, I haven't found anyone else who was there that day to confirm it. Former Bethpage State Park director Dave Catalano wasn't there then, but he worked closely with Asheroff and said he believes his account. Catalano also said his friend Bob Langerhausen, who was the assistant super at Bethpage during the 1980s, always attributed the sign to Asheroff. Eric Siebert has since passed away, as has former Long Island Parks chief John Sheridan. Former Bethpage pro Joe Rayhor says Sheridan was instrumental in turning the black course into what it is today. So let's talk about Rayhor. Now 73, he grew up on Long Island and caddied at Timber Point Golf Course and spent Saturday afternoons during his childhood teeing it up at the black. He later played the black course even more when he played golf at St. John's University before graduating in 1968. He says the sign was not there then. While Rayhor doesn't remember exactly when the sign went in, his best guess aligns with Asheroff's timeline but he's confident Sheridan had his handprints all over it.
2: See, I started in 1978 there, Mm -hmm. uh, but I played my college golf on the black horse at St. St. John's, and uh, that sign never was there while I was playing. I graduated in 1968. Nothing went on at that park if John didn't know about it, okay, and didn't put a stamp of approval on it. I do remember John saying, you know, he wanted to develop some sort of mystique about the black horse, okay? And mm-hmm. the sign was part of that development of the mystique. I'm going to say it was either 79, 80, 81, or 82 in that range. Late, very late 70s, early 80s. John ordered all of the golf, the basic rough areas, totally chopped down, which was probably 80, 81, 82. So, and that's, that's when the sign went up.
0: So, what did we learn? It depends whom you ask. Like I said, memories can be fleeting. And while the origin of the sign might forever remain a mystery, further losing its battle with time as every year passes by, its message will forever remain intimidating. Because if there's one thing we know, it's that Beth Page Black's warning sign isn't going anywhere.